Dr. Marty Becker, also known as America's veterinarian, says that fear is the worst thing a dog or any pet can experience. And when it comes to going to the veterinarian, well, that can be a very anxious and fear-inducing experience for our dogs. Today, he shares with us the mission that he has to remove that fear from our dogs' lives. Hello, I'm James Jacobson. Welcome to The Long Leash. Today on the show, a truly remarkable individual. Dr. Marty Becker has devoted his life to helping animals in need. For many years, Marty made regular appearances on national TV shows such as Good Morning America and Dr. Oz. In fact, as you will hear, that is where he got his moniker as America's Vet. Dr. Marty has owned or co-owned seven different veterinary hospitals. He's lectured to veterinarians on six continents, and he's written 25 books, which have sold over 8 million copies, including three New York Times bestsellers. Dr. Marty's most recent book that he co-authored is From Fearful to Fear Free, a positive program to free your dog from anxiety, fears, and phobias. If you listen to our sister show, Dog Edition, you might recognize his name from the episode Lost Dogs of Ukraine. We'd interview Dr. Becker after he raced to the border to help the refugee situation and deal with the evacuation of pets that were coming out of Ukraine. In today's show, Dr. Marty shares the impact that fear can have on our dogs, especially when it comes to veterinary visits. Dr. Marty also gives us a little sneak peek into a new direction for pet health, and it's <clears throat> nothing to yawn at. Dr. Marty Becker, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure, friend. Thank you. I am delighted. You have a moniker which I have long admired, America's Veterinarian, and you have so many accolades, you know, the books and the television appearances and the travel. And, and you've already appeared on Dog Podcast Network when we talked a little bit about dogs in the Ukraine. And we'll get to that in a bit. But I would like to start our conversation with something that I think you're most known for these days, which is fear free. For those who don't know what it is, and it has grown, but for those who don't know what it is, what is fear free? It is a very clever name clever name how did we come up with fear free so picture 2009 okay i'm in a conference room in victoria on vancouver island and i had given the keynote the day before on the human animal bond and the healing power of pets and the person in the front row was dr karen overall a boarded veterinary behaviorist and she was so friendly and engaged with me nodding, smiling, eyebrow flash, a source of energy. I thought, I'm going to go to her keynote the next day and reciprocate. But I sat in the back of the room, caught her attention as she came in, had every intention of leaving early and having a beer and meeting my wife early for supper. <laughs> had my Franklin Covey day planner, had my check in my AOL account, uh, old-fashioned <laughs> you're, setting the, you're setting the clock beautifully. I like it. The Franklin Covey and the AOL. Okay. There you go. And... She changed my life. Mm. It was one of those crazy times when you don't expect something and then you end up with 
with uh, a different life path based on that. And her opening line was, fear is the worst thing a social species could experience and it causes permanent damage to the brain. That those of us that take care of animals, veterinarians, groomers, trainers, pet sitters, we're causing repeat severe psychological damage to pets by what we're doing or not doing. That behavior produces a physiologic response, so behavior is medicine. That fear is caused by something painful or something disturbing. So you trim nails too short, that's painful. Now them seeing nail trimmers is disturbing. Mm. In a veterinary hospital, a syringe, a blood draw, a vaccination, an injection of antibiotics, all painful. Now they see the syringe, that's disturbing. And she talked about how all pets are like one-year-old children. They're taken against their will for health care. They have no idea why a procedure Hell benefits care, them. Healthcare, that's what she called it. Healthcare was her words. Uh-huh. And I still remember that. She said they don't know why it benefits them. They can't anticipate or expect the relief of fear, anxiety, and stress, or pain, even if it's moments away, and can't flee the threat. Uh-huh. She asked if anybody in the audience was a child in the 50s and 60s when they experienced health care, where they were manhandled, manipulated, threatened, and abused going to the doctor. I looked around, raised my hand up, like several others, gray-bearded, gray gray-haired people in the audience. And I looked at the end of my finger. I actually remember having a splinter in there, and three people holding me down to lancet at the doctor's office. I remember my sister Cheryl, my older sister, getting her ponytail pulled at the dentist's office to keep her mouth open, wow. like a human Pez dispenser. Wow. <laughs> and that wasn't, it wasn't the, where we were in southern Idaho with some, you know, <laughs> nidus of brutality that's just the way it was then and just like pediatrics changed if you looked at you know they had to change the way you just can't hold everybody down and vaccinate them or or put them in the dental chair and have pain the first time and expect them to be good throughout their life so when it came down to it i i left that talk that day thinking okay dr oz introduces me as america's veterinarian I've been able to lecture to their profession on behalf of their profession all these years. If people heard what I heard today, there is no way they would practice the same way. You can't continue to take a pet back into a place where they feel like they're going to be harmed or killed. And for the pet parent, they're not going to be okay with feeling like they're hurting their pet by trying to help it, as in taking it to the veterinarian. So then spent five years figuring out how to do it. So it was literally one of those things. You attend how many conferences over the course of your career do you think you have been in? Oh, I've, I've kept name tags oh, no. from every conference I sp- I've spoken at. And it there's two 55-gallon trash cans oh. full of name tags. <laughs> okay, so hundreds and hundreds That'll and hundreds talk. of conferences. Yes. So, yes. And normally, you know, been there, done that, know it. But this one presentation had such an impact on you that it really changed the trajectory of what you did for the last, well, since that point. You know, you know when you talk, my dad was the king of sayings, and he used to say, you know, Marty, you know the difference between ham and eggs, the chicken's involved, but the pig's committed. <laughs> I, boy, did I commit to this. Yeah. I was doing all sorts of other things, writing books, acting as a corporate spokesperson, doing personal appearances. I stopped all of that, and... Not only that, spent every single dollar of our retirement, which is, you know, when you're 55, you want to be building your retirement, not using it up. (laughs) But it totally invested in energy and connections in time and in money and never expected it to be a business. I just thought, 
if people heard this, there's no way you could dispute it. And then what happened to me that day, and this happened to so many people after this, is you almost PTSD well, much later in life because I kept thinking back of these pets that we had. Three, four, five people would hold them down to trim their nails in the back. And we'd get it done, and we'd send it out the front, and it was done. But at what cost to this pet? And I remember these pets, the fear-based aggression, the biting, the lunging, the cat scratching, flying around the room in this frenzy of fur. They think they're going to be killed. Yeah. And they were labeled as a bad dog or bad cat, noted in the records, cage notification, everything, when in fact they were just fighting for their life. And you were noting that in your own clinic with something as basic as, as a nail trim. Yeah, imagine that, coming in to have your nails trimmed and repeatedly taken back into the place where you are harmed. It'd be like a bully at school, and you're like, go back in there. Go back in and go to the bathroom and get beat up. Go back in there and get beat up. And these signs in a veterinary clinic, these dogs, you know, if you think of the signs they leave outside, it's mostly dogs, but they'll they'll urinate on a vertical surface, mm -hmm. a cap sign, the portico, the corner of the building, or they'll take a nervous number two. Mm -hmm. Those have all these fear pheromones on them, and for every pet coming in, it's just like, warning, 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 it's fight club in here. They can smell it. And we did it the same way. We'd welcome in. Put them together in reception with other pets and people that are stressed. They could hear things happening in the back. They could smell fear, anxiety, and stress. Then we take them into the exam room and put them up on a table. Dogs aren't up on tables at home. <laughs> Cats are often shooed off of counters, and yet we put them up on a table. Especially aluminum tables. And I learned this from Temple Grandin. You know, Temple Grandin's of the 250-some people on the Fear Free Advisory Group. We have 85 boarded behaviors, 20 PhD behaviors, 12 boarded anesthesiologists. The only gifted person is Temple Grandin. And Temple says that animals' number one fear from birth is the fear of falling. Mm -hmm. I said, I thought it was fire. She goes, no, that's a, that's a learned fear. So what do they do? Their number one fear is fear of falling. And we lift them off their feet off the ground yeah. and put them on a slippery elevated table. Because that's the way we always did it. Okay. So I think we sort of painted the picture a little bit of how bad the problem is. We'll say was, but is. And then you tell your wife, your beloved wife of many years, Teresa, we are going to spend our retirement savings in my mid-50s <laughs> on a brand new venture. And she said... <laughs> well, she, she, Teresa, don't get me laughing. I'm just getting over a cold. She she has rheumatoid arthritis, yeah. and part of this has been so stressful for her, she hasn't been able to get her shoes on. She loves to exercise. So it's stressful when you bet it all. Mm -hmm. and, and ours is to bet. Uh, my wife and I have tried to give away half what we've made our whole life. And so I drive a 22-year-old pickup truck. I mean, I live in a beautiful home. I've got to see the world. It's not like I've done without. But for us, it's making a difference. Mm -hmm. It is, and there's nothing wrong with making money because money shows you created something of value, but ours goes into making a difference. And really where this is going to culminate someday is to fund 10 to 12 chairs in behavior at Washington State University's mm -hmm. College of Veterinary Medicine. And each chair will look at the emotional building of a single animal. So there'll be some of the emotional well-being of dogs, cats, beef, dairy, poultry, pork, swine, 
wildlife, aquaculture, research. There's not a boarded chair in behavior at any veterinary school globally, and there'll be 10 to 12 in one location. Wow. So it went from something that was the right thing to do to just change the way we were looking at it to something now that, as Jane Goodall says, I guess has roots and shoots. So you assembled this incredibly prestigious board of advisors to do this, including people like Temple Grandin and a lot of veterinarians and a lot of, as you say, boarded behaviorists. And many people probably don't know that there are just a handful of those boarded behaviorists in all of North America, meaning a veterinarian who specializes in animal behavior and just the way you would have a boarded oncologist or a boarded surgeon, there are people who focus specifically on behavior and the psychology of animals. Once you assembled the group, you had to figure out there has to be some revenue stream. There has to be something that you all do to impart the message with some you know, modicum of, of financial exchange. What is that and how has Fear Free turned into a, an ongoing concern, which I read today you have 100,000 people across the world who are certified in it? Yeah, we. I, I'm really loving this. I feel like I'm talking to my therapist because <laughs> I get a chance to, act, to actually really lay it out, you know, how yeah. this worked. So I've owned six or seven veterinary hospitals in my lifetime, and my leadership style is like a squirrel crossing the road. I mean, I am ready, fire, aim, and something shiny always attracts me, and I want to fix this, and I want to help with this. But luckily, we had uh, somebody come in as our chief operating officer that knew how to, how do you scale this? And you're going to scale it with an online education program. That's the only way you can do it if you're going to have people from other countries or do it on demand. So we formed task forces, and task forces created certification programs. So and they were in the veterinary side, there's four levels of certification ending with Fear Free Elite certification. That's the pinnacle. Then there's certification programs for trainers, for pet sitters, for daycare and boarding, for grooming, for dog walking. And then you have subject matter experts, but always paired with boarded veterinary behaviorists and PhD behaviorists. So there's a, you know, we was born in an instant. That talk of hers got me five years of development. And the overnight success, we launched April 1st of 2016. There's nine months left in that year. Our goal was to have 1,000 people certified, and we end up having 10,000. And so actually now we have 150,000 people in various levels of being certified. There's over 100,000 that are veterinary healthcare professionals that are certified. But if we want to show the, you know, really trumpet this, What's interesting is two-thirds of all veterinary schools in the United States, two-thirds of the 33 schools now require fear-free certification of all students before graduation, and the Association of Veterinary Tech Educators wants to make fear-free mandatory and for veterinary technicians by the end of next year. So just as a little FYI, there's always about 4,500 veterinary students every year and about 45,000 veterinary technician students. But they're going to learn our terminology, our methodology. They're going to learn it. They're going to see it. And then they're going to practice it and come out not doing like I did in 1980 when I graduated and stretching a cat out in two zip codes to get a blood sample. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What are some of the hallmarks when you take your pet 
or dog to the vet. What are some of the hallmarks that help you know, oh, this is a, a clinic that has been trained in and, and is certified in Fear Free? I had somebody last week that's an attorney I know that called up after a Fear Free visit and was like, he'd seen the second coming of Christ. I mean, he <laughs> was so excited. If you really go to a Fear Free practice, the pet parent has to be involved at the start. So they can't deliver a rabid dog, so to speak, or a wildcat and have us, you know, take some peanut butter and perform a miracle where they suddenly become calm. So they want to deliver a calm pet. But in this case, there was no pre-visit pharmaceuticals, no pheromones, no compression garments, no calming music, no absence of baby talking. So they come in stressed. But first thing they noticed was that even after COVID is over, they don't go into the practice until it's their turn to be seen. And we were doing this in Fear Free before COVID. You'd go to the parking lot, you'd check in on the phone and wait in your vehicle. That was the waiting room. Mm -hmm. This is pre-COVID. Then you go into the exam room with your pet and you are not, that pet is not gonna be put up on the table. We will let the pet kind of determine where they wanna be examined. Is it gonna be in mom or dad's lap? Is it in the bottom half of the carrier on the bench? Is it going to be on a fleece blanket on the floor? Is it going to be in the doctor's lap facing the client? And it may, it, if some dogs don't mind going up on the table and cats going up on the table. And then the people come in, they're going to act, if you wouldn't know it, you'd think they were, they're using their sanctuary voice, not their game day voice. Hmm. Like I'm a really upbeat kind of person and got a lot of inflection in my voice and if I had to come in and see a pet, hey, how you doing, Mrs. Hayes? How's Sparky doing? Good to see you, Sparky. Well, is Dr. Becker depressed? No. He's, <laughs> he's avoiding direct eye contact and speaking softer because it causes less fear, anxiety, and stress to the pet. If you had a cat, you would that time between when you're in the room and before the nurse comes in, there's a litter box, so the cat can use a litter box. There's water. There's a heat source, so the pet might be drawn to that heat source. When they come in, we examine the cat from the tail forward instead of the tip of the mm. nose backwards. There's a nurse working back and forth, always looking at levels of fear, anxiety, and stress. So I was just practicing as a veterinarian yesterday, and there's a communication between the nurse and myself that, okay, the pet has stopped taking treats as it's still taking it, but it's slowing down. That means the fear, anxiety, and stress levels are rising up. So it's almost like you've got diagnostics always on it in this coordinated effort and what happened yesterday a good example was a puppy in for second vaccinations and the first time the dog had like zero fear anxiety and stress this time when we gave a rabies shot the dog's fear anxiety and stress levels went up to level four which is just one below five which is the highest mm. rather than in the past what would we have done we would have probably taking the dog in the back so the owner didn't see the pet struggling. Mm -hmm. But they would hear something in the back and know that was their pet struggling, right. but it, we wouldn't want to, we wouldn't be embarrassed. But we'd have got it done. We'd have gotten all the vaccination. I think we can all relate to, oh, I got to take your dog back in the back. And then you hear that. Yep. You know your dog's voice and you hear that, that yelp or that bark yep. or that grunt. And then their eyes. You don't want to think about it. You want to think. That's not that bad. I'm telling you, it's bad. Yeah. There is so many people. There's probably 600 to 1,000 pounds of human holding down a, a six-pound palm puppy. Hmm. 
to try to get it done. So what we did was we gave, and I stole this from another veterinarian, so I want to give credit. Her name is Dr. Julie Reck. But she said, I'm not going to sacrifice your pet's long-term emotional well-being for the convenience of getting this done today. Mm-hmm. We have three choices. We can retreat and come back another day a different way. And that's what it ended up happening, by the way. We can give it something orally, and you can leave it for an hour or two and see if it calms down. Or we can give it an injection of something that works immediately. And in this case, we chose to come back another way, a different way. So the pet is going to be on pre-visit pharmaceuticals. Because mm-hmm. if we'd have pushed it the second time that pet had ever been to the veterinarian, that pet would have a viscerally antagonistic reaction to going to the veterinarian for the rest of its life. Wow. Okay, so those are some of the hallmarks. Those are some of the things to look for in a practice that is doing. Is there, there must be a directory or there must be a way of finding fear-free practices if you want to look for that. Yeah, if you go to fear-free happy homes is complimentary to all pet parents. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of that. If you want to find out about doggy diarrhea or cat skin issues, that's not your place to go. Right. But for anything about reducing fear, anxiety, and stress uh, or enrichment activities or training tips, that is the place to go. And then we also have fearfreeshelters.com, which is a complimentary program to all shelters and rescues. There's around 80,000 people have completed a five-hour online course. That's a long, it's hard enough to get somebody to complete a half-hour course, <laughs> let alone a five-hour course. But this course changes the way people that work at shelters and rescues uh, treat their own pets. And so it changes the way that they the pets are in the shelter. They don't just look at physical well-being they don't have a parvo outbreak and there's not you know aggression between dogs in a play group but they look at all aspects of emotional well-being from the entrance you know if it's relinquished what happens at, at that moment the husbandry the exercise that volunteers do the meet and greets they do with the public and then when they leave there you want that dog or cat to be healthy happy and enriched that's the kind of the third piece zoos do a better job of enrichment than most homes do Mm. and we've got to let dogs and cats strut their genetic stuff and i'll I'll tell you how far that's gone there's a company called bark which i'm sure you know of our little dog gets a bark box and gets all excited and rips open the bark box it's kind of like broadway in a box and got their treats got the toys got the little play things there they're a sponsor they're a sponsor of some of our shows on dog podcast yeah i love the bark box okay i'll, I'll give a pitch I go to barkbox.com slash dpn for a special promotion there you go i i recommend my clients all the time we're working on a line of toys that can be buried oh so if you have a terrier you have a terrier terrier comes from terra which is earth they love to dig rather than trying to stop them from digging something they're genetically wired to do what if we had a spot or two in the yard where we could actually bury a toy that was designed to be dug up now that (laughs) that is something that's going to be pretty pleasurable for me that sounds really good now how so many questions come to mind like how are you going to just say this is the one area to dig, not the entire yard? And So what you do is you're reinforcing something. So there's one place. Uh-huh. So you probably remember being a little kid, and I thought there was a treasure chest somewhere that was hidden, you know, from <laughs> Definitely maybe from under all the those neighbor's yard. I, I totally oh, I never absolutely. found it. I never found it. Yeah. yeah. So once they start knowing that it might be, and I, I gave an actual example here on Almost Heaven Ranch, 
I mean, we have 150 acres, but the dig holes are all located within areas of our flower garden or yard. So they have sand in them, and you put it in. They know it's either door number one, door number two, or door number three, and it's not always there. And that's the thing, like, I was telling somebody today that has a telemedicine company that 5% or less of pets should be fed out of bowls. The other pets should all be fed out of food puzzles or food dispensing devices, and they had no idea what that was. You know, they're, mm. as far as they were concerned, you get a new puppy or kitten, you get a food bowl, a water bowl, mm. uh, you get a toy, you get a comb, you know, you get nail trimmers and stuff like that. Not that's not what you should do. You got to feed the body as well as feeding the mind, and that's what's exciting about this now is we can we can have all these animals. Their bodies are made for movement. They don't want to be born retired. And how do you get them active, <laughs> mentally active, physically active? And that's where Fear Free Happy Homes comes in. Is it's just a better life. And what boredom causes behavior problems, and behavior problems cause relinquishment or banishment into the backyard. And if you have that dog or cat where they are happy and healthy and, and satiated, And by the way, this is an aside. I've never talked about this on any show before. One of the next big things in pet care veterinary medicine is going to be quality of sleep. Quality of sleep? Quality of sleep. Oh, that is a really good tease. Let's talk about that. We're going to take a break right now, but let's talk about that and talk about how to help your dog and you, I guess, get a better night's sleep. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpuff. The green, grassy, beef liver spike smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it, Everpuff, traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. It helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want my Everpuff. It just makes me feel good. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. We are back with Dr. Marty Becker. Dr. Marty, you were sharing a tease about the next trend that you see coming in animal health, which is sleep for your pets, better night's sleep. And I have no connection with these companies. So okay. I'm doing this with this is not a this is not a paid not a paid plug, okay? Okay. I'll tell you two products from out there exciting. One is a pet bed called Brisby, B-R-I-S-B-Y. It's not on the market yet, but it has a veterinary version and a home version. Let's be honest, okay. 
I've been a veterinarian for 40 years. I've been on part or all of seven veterinary hospitals. I've been in hundreds of veterinary hospitals. When they hospitalize your pet and it stays overnight, is there somebody there that checks on your pet? The answer is no, unless it's a 24-hour hospital. Let's say it's during the day and your pet is hospitalized. How many times do they actually go, if your pet is in the treatment area and it's hospitalized, how many times a day do they actually go in there and physically take vital signs and look at that pet? The answer is rarely, if at all. So normally what they do is like when an you, ICU or, or something. Exactly right. right, right, right. Exactly right. If it right. was in if it was in intensive care or something, it's different. But your pets had persistent vomiting. And do we go in there like in human healthcare where somebody comes through and takes the vital signs and looks for things? It doesn't happen. Usually it's around the treatment time. So if you're going to give a treatment morning and evening, that's when you look at it. So this smart bed takes vital signs, temperature, pulse, respiration, and weight. And it also detects signs of fear, anxiety, and stress, so like shivering, shaking, panting. It can detect that. And it's a, it's a plug-and-play, so it just plugs in, goes in with the software and stuff to use in a veterinary hospital. It has an LED light around it, pardon me, around the edge of it. So as long as you see a little green coming from the, the run or the cage, that's good. If it's yellow, you better go check. If it's red, you better go check really fast. Wow. And then it's the same thing at home. So it can look at the vital signs at home are always going to be more accurate than the vital signs in a veterinary hospital. Mm-hmm. And what's the big deal about vital signs? Well, if the dog has 103.5 temperature at home, almost assuredly that dog has an infection, has a fever. If that dog has a heart rate that is 20 to 30% higher than normal for the breed and the age, there's a good chance that dog has hyperthyroidism. If you come in and you're doing blood chemistry work and the pet is calm, at home, and you do blood chemistry work and see glucose is increased, is probably pre-diabetic. Is it monitoring all of those vitals? Yep. This is sort of like a smart, I'm wearing a smartwatch. It's like a, one of those aura rings, but it's it's a bad. It is. See, here's the thing. Like, I won't mention any of the names. I won't trash any of the names, but there's right. four or five activity trackers that fit on your dog's collar. Yeah. Studies show after 30 days, over two-thirds of those are in the drawer and not used. Mm-hmm. A pet's going to sleep in a bed most of the time. I mean, in the background, you can see a couple pet beds here. And the view you have right here, I think you see three of them. Yeah. So that's one thing. The second product is, I think it's called, it's under Companion Labs, I think. But it's a, it's a product that sits in your house that trains your dog to sit, stay, come, drop it, or leave it. You know, the doorbell rings. You can bark twice, and you get to come back to the machine but it trains the dog to walk to the camera and away from the camera and walk crossways in front of the camera both directions. So the advanced cameras and motion sensors we see in cars and things now are in this. That product can detect lameness before boarded veterinary orthopedic specialists can detect lameness. There's some good clinical studies. It can detect the start of, let's say a pet's licking its paw, and then it comes home and it, because it's now no longer bored, it doesn't do it anymore. It can, you know, it's like having a veterinarian in your house. It alerts the veterinarian that this pet is licking its paw, its right paw, or it's scratching its left ear, or it's showing signs of fear, anxiety, and stress at 3 p.m. every Thursday. This dog it has a crisis. What happens then? Well, what we found out in beta testing, 
that's when the lawn service comes and there's a weed eater right outside the window. Why is it another pet another day? It's the trash service comes and there's that sound. Uh, 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 and then the clanking <laughs> of the things. Yeah. And it's smart enough if there's thunderstorms in the forecast, two hours before it can kick out a nutraceutical to that pet or a pharmaceutical and actually give that pet a medication to calm it down. And both of those products look at sleep. So that's where we started this. I, before yeah. I started chasing a rabbit, my wife was hospitalized last year. And it's amazing to see the focus on sleep in a hospital. This is a small country hospital. We have a town of 2,200. Mm-hmm. They cool the room. They have blackout blinds. They'll give her a weighted blanket or heated blanket. They give her kind of a nighttime beverage, cocoa, chamomile tea. They say, we're not going to wake you up and take your vitals. This is a fear-free human hospital. My yeah, goodness. It is. Maybe once for the you night. I'll go to Idaho for this experience. <laughs> but you're seeing pets that are boarding, pets that are hospitalized, we've never looked at their quality of sleep. And just because their eyes are shut, when you have high levels of fear, anxiety, and stress, you tuck your tail, you pull your paws in, you lay down, you close your eyes. But I really do think quality of sleep, because a lot of it's poor quality of sleep because of pain, by the way, or fear, anxiety, and stress. It's going to be interesting to marry that kind of high-tech, high-touch, state-of-the-art, state-of-the-heart, where each of these pets can be happier than you would expect them to be, healthier than you expect them to be, and have an enriched life. Wow. We talked to a lot of people who are coming up with cutting-edge things and related to dogs. And sleep, is this is the first one I've heard about sleep, and you heard it here first. We'll, we'll track some of these down, and we'll have them on uh, other shows on Dog Podcast Network, because this is fascinating. So that also speaks to your role as a, what do we want to call it? As America, we're not going to use America as veterinarian again, but you are pitched a lot of ideas that when people come up with, oh, I want to start a new venture that does this, or I want to start a service, or here's a new, you know, you must get all sorts of ideas pitched at you and, you know, seeking your endorsement. Is that true? Yeah. You know what? Well, it's funny. You got some, you got some new stuff here. I have never endorsed a product in all these years. You can't go back and see my image. Here's what happens. There is a Dr. Marty. And there is a Dr. Becker, and neither of them are me. And there's a, reason, there's a reason why they go by Dr. Marty or Dr. Becker. Both of them have a dog food line. Mm-hmm. And they're both the dog food line is going to, your, this is all natural, your pet will not get cancer with this stuff because most of these commercial foods cause cancer, all this baloney. And guess what else they always end up with? Some kind of CBD line now. And I've been blessed to lecture to the profession as a speaker at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conferences, but on behalf of the profession to the media and to the pet public. So I had some eye-popping offers. I probably shouldn't mention a company's name, but it was going to be a flea and tick product Mm -hmm. that I don't use, I don't recommend. In fact, I don't like the company. And, you know, in the million-dollar-a-year range, you would have gone into a CVS or a Costco or something and seen... You know, America's veterinarian holding up this product. Mm -hmm. But what I always think about is emotional wealth, you know, like Mm -hmm. what can you, because there's nothing wrong with making money. Like making money shows you created something of value. Mm -hmm. So for, you know, for your, your network, for the Longleaf show, you've got to have something where you do revenues. 
what you do with the revenues is is something different. And I had no idea at the time when that Fear Free, how Fear Free got its name. I've got to thank Canadian Beer because I left I left that meeting with Karen <laughs> yeah, I was Overall. drinking a few beers and it was it? I was so sad uh-huh. after her talk because I thought how did we let this I thought that was collateral damage I didn't think there was anything you do I didn't think it was that and then I realized my God how many pets have we traumatized and done this and so if she said fear is the worst thing a social species could experience I thought fear free it's sing song it's aspirational. I came back to the U.S. and checked with a trademark attorney, and it was available. But even then, I had no, all I thought was, we take an oath, actually, as a veterinarian or veterinary technician, to prevent or relieve animal pain and suffering is part of our oath. I thought, let's match up with our oath. And then I had no idea at that time that it was better medicine, that it was a dramatic reduction in injuries, that it increased key practice indicators and made practice fun again. And I'll tell you something that I forecast, James, is I think in the near future, you will see U.S. Postal Service workers, UPS, FedEx, Uber Eats, Instacart, you name it, will have gone through a fear-free program and come to your house and interact with your pet differently. And the reason I I know that... Wow, that's profound. This is profound because we are completely rethinking animal handling and what we want to do is if you take a ups driver of course they don't want injuries their workers comp goes up yeah they don't want to see somebody injured you always see the signs in there you know 1000 days since we've had a somebody off of work because of an injury you can't replace these people and that dog that's territorial around my house that's my child it's not a bad dog Mm -hmm. it's doing what it's designed to do so what happened when I went over to help Ukrainian pets, I'm a pretty lousy veterinarian. And this is, I'm not self-deprecating here. I mean, I can make fun of my hair, my color, my skin, more chins in a Chinese phone book. When I say I'm not a very good veterinarian, when you look at, I'm good in the exam room, and I'm pretty darn good at diagnoses. I love the exam room. But in the back, you've got an older pet, multimodal conditions. What is wrong with that pet? I'm not the one. I never have been. To look under a microscope and ferret out some slight change on a cellular level of a histopathology slide, that's not me. In surgery, I'm surprised I learned how to tie my shoelaces. (laughs) These people that can do these compound, comminuted fractures and everything comes back together like a a puzzle, nah. (laughs) So when I went to, when I went over to help Ukrainian pets, I wasn't going to diagnose. There was one sick pet that nobody could figure out or do some surgery. What I did was worked with the Romanian Veterinary Medical Association, the Moldova Veterinary Medical Association. What are the strains to your system you need help with? And then I went to the people volunteering that are still there long after all of us left at the line, and I trained them on how you interact with pets. So they were seeing these pets come over, like into Romania, primarily by barge across the Danube. These pets are stressed. The people with them are stressed. They get off, and there's this milieu of stress, and they're coming into a different country. And then the people that were there volunteering to help with the pets, they all rush in in this horde of well-meaning people come in and, and just dogpile on this poor dog, so to speak. And then it's up on a table and there's 20 people looking at it. 
and they were getting a lot of dog bites and a lot of cat bites and scratches. So what I taught them to do was what I teach, Try to we try to teach everybody to do. Most people greet pets wrong, whether it's in, I live in the country of Northern Idaho. If I was to go to a neighbor's house and took our little palm puppy, everybody would greet it wrong. If I was in a, you know, where you're at in Maui and we went to a busy location in a downtown and there was a pet walking along the street, people would greet it wrong. And what they do is we tend to see it, we move towards it, Mm -hmm. we have prolonged direct eye contact, and then we lean down. It's like Halloween big. When you're you're leaning down, you're (laughs) looming, you're big, you're hulking, and then you stick your hand out in its face. So all three things are wrong. Prolonged direct eye contact, leaning down, and putting something in their face. So what you actually do is you... If you see it, you can glance over at it. You turn sideways. If you can, you take a knee. Make yourself small. Make yourself small and call the pet over to you. And that way, if somebody's trying to socialize a pet like we are, if they have a really stressed out pet like coming out of Ukraine, you make it worth their while. Carry little pieces of pure bite, you know, dehydrated chicken or something that you Hansel and Gretel them to come over to you. That's all we had to do for those Ukrainian pets was get people to stop having prolonged direct eye contact, to not put every pet up on the exam room table, to let the pet approach them first. It seems so simple, but everybody does it the other way because that's what they've seen done. Their parents did it. Their grandparents did it. They see it on the street. Right. I think if you are being modest about your, your veterinary chops, but what I would acknowledge as your greatest strengths is your understanding of psychology and communication and being able to, to leverage that, whether it's on the media or going to Romania and helping these Ukrainian dogs. It's pretty extraordinary. I want to know when you, when you leave the house or maybe when you get up in the morning, you have something in your pocket. It seems like you always have like some like the, the, I, I'm just envisioning that you have a pocket full of liver treats. Is that true? Yeah, make me, don't make me don't make me laugh. I'm going to get that Sorry. deputy dog laugh from this gold I'm getting over. Hey, by the way, in Moldova, li- listen. I have to have to tell you this. Okay. The 90th country was Romania. The 91st is Moldova. Before I go to a country, I always look at their per capita income, their main religion what their major exports are, kind of their any of their special holidays or iconic things. Like I always think of Transylvania from Romania. What else is there besides Transylvania? Romania's per capita income, $6,000. Gas was ten fifty a gallon, if you look oh. at the U.S. equivalent. Moldova, we're talking sub-Saharan level poverty, $4,000 per capita income. And same thing, $10.50 gas. So... Those people were giving it themselves so incredibly to help these pets from Romania and these people. It was really, really touching to see that. One thing I do have in my pocket all the time, in the car we have a leash and we have a carrier that's folded up and it's got some stuff in there to lure a dog that maybe has been hit by a car or something. But what I have in my pocket is the same thing I would have if I was... I had the first and only fear-free certified practice on one of those Hawaiian islands that you could name that I couldn't, that are under when Bush made him part of a protected area. Oh, oh, oh uh, yes. Yeah, you way know those. Way out of the, okay, yeah. Way out. Yeah. I would have churu paste, C-H-U-R-U, 
I have no relationship with them. Again, it's not no commercial relationship. But it's in a little tube like a yogurt tube. But for dogs and cats, that stuff is irresistible. And there is a veterinary formula that's a little, it's also designed for pets that don't want to eat. Japanese company, mostly manufactured, I think, in Thailand. But that is the bomb. And that, you know, like everybody that loves pets, you love it when they love you back. And if you love it when somebody goes, oh, my gosh, they've never reacted like that. They usually don't like men or something like that. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm cheating, right? I know how to get them to come over to me and and give them something they're never going to forget. This is fascinating. Well, you are filled with interesting things. And you do love the veterinary profession. I remember years ago, after as you, you were the first veterinarian on Good Morning America, and you were there for many, many years, and you had a little bit of a falling out with ABC News over something that happened. Dang, um, you, you, my dad, remember, my dad had the best knowledge of sayings, you know. Ham and eggs, the chickens involved, the pigs committed. And the other one, yeah. he'd say, we've known each other so long, we know where the dogs are buried. Yeah, or he'd say, you know, we ride for the brand, like in the West, you know, you ride for the brand of the ranch you're working on. Yeah, I got, I haven't thought about that for a while. That was probably, I can remember, you know, people say, you know where you were when 9-11 happened. Yeah, I do. I remember where we were when Kennedy got shot. It was on the playground, you know, and when I was then, maybe sixth grade or something like that. Mm-hmm. I remember where I was when that, the day after that segment hit. It was a segment on a new show called 2020. It was on 2020. And I was in a hotel room in Boston and I'd had my, shut my phone off for the night. And when I turned it on, I thought it was like it turned into some kind of slot machine or something. There was like, it was whirring and buzzing and, and it was like, you have 600 new messages. <laughs> And I'm, what the heck? And and uh, I remember being so devastated. And it, it taught my kids. My kids had to be there. We were going to go to a Patriots-Broncos game on Sunday. So 2020 was Friday night. This was Saturday morning. Sunday was going to be the Patriots and the Broncos. And they got to see how I handled something that was, was devastating. So what happened? So what happened? Yeah. They had a thing. For years, 2020 had been trying to do one of those gotcha things in veterinary medicine. And they could never, you know, where it's almost like, you know, they take some wire off the alternator and they take it to a shop and then the shop tells them you need a new engine or something or a new transmission. (laughs) And they could never get veterinarian to deceive them. So they kept trying. So finally, somebody undercover else... Undercover reporter trying undercover, to... Undercover, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, hey, the dog's got ear mites, but they're going to treat it for cancer or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what they did, there was a Canadian veterinarian that was the most fine veterinarian in Canadian history. This is what I found out afterwards. And he had a service where if you sent their proposed invoice to him, he would tell you where veterinarians are trying to rip you off. Like, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So they took a dog into several veterinarians, and the dog had periodontal disease. So it's really weird, you know. If you look at the studies by the American Veterinary Dental Association, 80% of dogs six months or older have periodontal disease. Mm -hmm. And so nobody's going to brush their pet's teeth. Only 3 to 5% of people in veterinary medicine brush their pet's teeth. So that means nobody's <laughs> going to brush their pet's teeth. You've got to use an edible toothbrush or a dental wipe or something, and that's, that's what we do. So they took the dog in, and they wanted to see what somebody recommended. And 
they ask a question about vaccinations or something. Should you have vaccinations every year or something? What they did, they took my answer to something out of context in this interview. I happened to be in New York for something else. He said, do you want to come over and do this piece? Yeah, happy to help you out. And I've worked with ABC for years. I didn't know what the piece was about, but then they used that piece in the way they cut it and put it in there. It sounded like I was saying veterinarians were ripping people off by pushing vaccinations. When what I said was, you definitely don't need to vaccinate pets for everything every year. And if your veterinarian is doing that, something is wrong because there's core vaccinations and others that last last a long time. There's others you don't even need to get. It just depends on, you should take your pet in for a yearly physical exam to determine what, if any, vaccinations are needed. And that is honest. That's still what I say. But it, they, mm-hmm. they used it purposely to ignite controversy, which means ratings and other things. Mm-hmm. And and boy, did I get it. I mean, I got death threats, people sending maps of how I went to work, uh, contacting my family. And you also, like most people run for the hills. When something happens, yeah. you get to see the people who stay in there and go, Something's, this is not this doesn't sound like him or something, you know? So, yeah. So you found your friends and, and those who didn't. And then you did, I guess, the noble thing at the time. You broke ties with ABC. That's funny that you guys, dang, it's funny that you remember that. I asked them to do a retraction mm-hmm. because, uh, let, let me tell you, there are veterinarians that will rip you off. Mm-hmm. There are dishonest veterinarians. I've seen veterans within the last year. One was using fishing line for suture, oh. sterilizing fishing line. In America? Uh, yes. In America? Yes. And fishing line, listen, it looks like that suture. It is not that suture. <laughs> uh, I was with a veterinarian that would lift. He, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say this. It was, it was the most popular veterinarian near Hershey, Pennsylvania. Okay. So I'm not naming the practice of the person, nope. but a booming practice because extremely low cost, no appointment necessary, but a waiting room just like a, like a crock pot of stress. But in the back, he would lift all the animals up onto the table by grabbing the skin on their back and lifting them up by their skin. And I said, why do you do that? And he goes, oh, it's just a lot, been a lot easier on my back, Doc. That's why I don't have any back problems. And I'm thinking, oh, man, if people could see this, I'd never seen a dog lifted up by skin and put up on the table. Wow. So I'm not saying every veterinarian is its a purely altruistic without sin, but when they tarnished that, when that was... In, in fact, this dog, when you looked at it, because they don't have experts look at it, the dog actually had a mass in its mouth. And so they were focusing on periodontal disease and should the pet's teeth be cleaned and how much. They didn't even focus on mm. the fact it had a very large mass in its mouth. Could it be oral melanoma? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh. So it was when they wouldn't do it, I quit. So after the only person that was on ABC, Good Morning America, longer than me was Emerald. I was on 17 <laughs> years and he was on 18 years. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's, you're pretty good company. But then you went on to do stuff with Dr. Oz before he became a political candidate when he had a TV show. Yeah, I can't. I can't my, my gosh. I better not talk about politics, but that's a whole, okay. that's a whole different thing now. Uh, uh, no, he was, a, he was, that was really. He was a different person back that's then. That's a was, different he was person. A physician who was, Oprah had sort of found and then cultivated and did his own show. And he brought you on to really talk about this intersection of people and pet and how some of that medicine 
can be applicable. It's funny how you know that. I knew Dr. Oz before he was ever on Good Morning America. He was a he was a well known heart surgeon at Columbia. I mean, mm-hmm. unbelievably talented. And they wrote a book called "You, the Owner's Manual." It was a number one New York Times bestseller. And I went up and talked to him about writing a book, "Your." dog the owner's manual he didn't want to do it but he he let us take his book title so we hitchhiked on it had your dog the owner's manual your cat the owner's manual and the same producer that found me patty nager who found jack Hanna, and it wasn't an accident she's the one that got jack to go jungle jack you know to wear the the khaki stuff and be the you know the little <laughs> shtick and I just assumed he wore that every no, day. No, that, that was there. Was some producer saying, you know, you need to look like Yeah, and then the she zoo. got me. She uh, well, The reason Patty liked me was I, she said I was middle America. I wasn't East Coast, West Coast. Mm-hmm. I looked like I could be from anywhere. So she had me wear what we jokingly called the Canadian tuxedo. It was khaki pants, a denim shirt, and a red tie. That was what, for 17 years. I wore the same thing. <laughs> and then she found Dr. Oz. And then, yeah. then Oprah saw him. Mm-hmm. And he's, uh, you know, was a natural at communication. And she started calling him America's doctor. And then when he started his show, he started calling me America's veterinarian. And we did a lot of really good segments for a long time. And then it got into true crime and crazy stuff uh, before the show ended. Huh. Yes, the evolution of... But what I like about you is you have been even throughout this. And I would suggest... You know, with what you have done most recently with Fear, most recently, what you've done with Fear Free is just extraordinary. Have you been able to even like wrap your head around the number of animals that you may have impacted and people who may have already been impacted by Fear Free? You know, every once in a while, I stop, mainly my wife or somebody will will notice a milestone. I've had two interventions in my life, James. One was... In 2018, my family had an intervention. I knew we were having an intervention for my wife. What I didn't know, they were having an intervention for me. So the kids got a two-for-one, you know, coming home, Christmas time with the family, the parents, you know. So my wife was delaying getting her knee replacement. So that was one thing. The other one was myself working too hard on Fear Free that they thought that I was literally putting my life at risk. I was working just putting so much into it. So Fear Free started in 2009. This is 10 years later. And I told him, yeah, I am working too hard. Yeah, I need to slow down. Well, I didn't do it. But this time I shook hands, gave him my word. So, okay, I got to I got to do it now. But I wasn't going to go back on anything I'd already set up. And I was only home 52 days in 2000. And that was 2018 in 2019, I was only home 52 days. So that's how hard I was working on Fear Free. The other intervention was about helping too many people. Like that one, I I can't change. It's like Stephen Covey's uh, emotional bank account with people. I've been at times in my life when I was when I would hoard things or be feel like there was just a limited amount and and I wanted my the lion's share of it and and I, I love helping different people. What what the reason now though? So though something will come along like a hundred thousand people, or we're in sixty countries that'll think, mm-hmm. or another species is added. But I still got two or three things that I want to work on. One is to increase the number of people applying to veterinary school. So when I applied to veterinary school in nineteen seventy six, it was sixteen to one, and right now it's one. The point, odds of getting in. Yes, 
Now it's one point for every one slot. There are sixteen applicants. Yeah. Now it's one point four applicant for every opening. So I said earlier, there's forty five hundred veterinary students. You know, you can figure this out. It's about six thousand people applying for forty five hundred spots. That's not good. And there's extreme dearth of minority veterinarians. So we have something called Vet Scoop, which is about thirty veterinarians, two thirds female, but I might be off a little bit here, but six black, five Hispanic, three Asian, one Native American. So we want to get more people to apply to veterinary school and more minorities. The other thing is access to care. Uh, Michael Blackwell is a former chief of staff of the Surgeon General, a veterinarian, former dean of University of Tennessee that has something called Align Care. And it's to provide veterinary services with the, who knows what the number is. Some say 30%, some say 50% of people can't afford veterinary care. That's untenable. And so we've got to find solutions to provide veterinary care for everyone. Because veterinary care is, it's not overpriced, but for most people, it is expensive. And so we can't just go, it can't just be veterinary services for the people and the pets that have a certain financial means. This is fascinating. And I have so many things to talk to you about, but hopefully you'll come back. But I want to kind of wrap up today's conversation with what we at Dog Podcast Network call your heart dog. The dog that, if you had to look back on your entire life of loving dogs, who was, is your heart dog? Oh, this dog is laying beside me. My wife had a heart dog that she lost when she lost her dad in 2002. I won't go into detail, but we ended up buying the dog at a truck stop, okay? Exactly what I tell everybody not to do, we did. And this was the perfect dog for 15 years. And the dog passed, and my wife's been looking for another special dog, and she's got a little Pomeranian puppy that's crazy about her. I've had 16 dogs in my life, and this is this dog is my heart dog. This one? So this is Cutie Pie. And Cutie Pie is... Um, He's what we call, if I could tip this down a little bit so you can yeah, see. Yeah, let's, let's he's, get he's like what you call two dogs long and a half a dog tall. He's a, he's a <laughs> Jack Russell. You can see maybe that. Chihuahua Dachshund Cross. Yeah. And he is, he is absolutely, he's my heartbeat. He had distemper. Yeah. And so I was practicing as a veterinarian, and the shelter brought in a litter from California on a, something called Wings of Rescue. The whole plane, two planes broke with distemper. That then had shelter outbreaks in northern Idaho because of that, that distemper outbreak. But he, um, we were leaving town, and he and his sister were the only two left out of the litter. And my wife and I said, we'll pay for it if you take him to Washington State University's College of Veterinary Medicine. So he was in intensive care for 10 days. And about $8,000 later and 10 days later, he came back home and was definitely still at risk like he was barely hanging on but he's a vet's dog he's a vet's vet's dog always have these yeah special dogs we are smitten by he is gorgeous and he kind of feels very very happy to just lay on his (laughs) with his belly big old freckles he's got and he he's uh i learned from my mentor he's there's things you joke about pets. He's got what we call easty-westy feet. You know, one leg points west and one points east. You know, it turned out kind of like a basset hound. And 
Like I said, he's two dogs long and a half a dog tall. He's like a California lowrider. Put neon underneath him and put those bouncing suspension on him, you know. Boom, 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 boom. But right now, if I knew I could clone this dog, I would do it. Mm-hmm. 100% I would do it for this well, dog. Well, you know you can. There are those things. Yeah. Would you consider that with I me? would. I absolutely would. And I'm a guy that drives a 22-year-old pickup truck. I'm not much of one for splurging, but... Yeah. This dog was like many others. You couldn't board a dog if they weren't castrated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had to have, an, and, you know, I've been in 91 countries. Most of the world, the dogs are intact. And much of the world uses flexible leashes, the long leashes, you know, extendable leashes. And mm-hmm. here, no, never use an extendable leash. And early spay neuter. And we know now with early spay neuter, we're actually, you know, the first tenet of medicine is first do no harm. And early spay neuter absolutely causes harm. Mm. Joint problems, increased risk of cancers that are dangerous. And so we waited till he was a year old before we castrated him, but he's not going to have any puppies. <laughs> well, Marty Becker, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. I hope you will come back and talk again with us in the future. Oh, I'd love to. And you know what? I'd love to be able to... Uh, separately to this might be a great way to end this i have some veterinary friends we have the three largest audience on social media so i as you could imagine facebook evan anton we call the second sexiest vet in the world he has the largest audience on instagram and then hunter finn is the third sexiest vet in the world and he's has the largest audience on tiktok and then there's also Quan Stewart, who is the fourth sexiest veterinarian. He's the street vet that's real famous out of L.A. Uh, of course, I'm the world's sexiest veterinarian. I mean, you knew that, totally. James. You knew that was coming. Absolutely. I mean, we, 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 that's just... Yeah, I mean, just, it's just, I just got it. That beautiful... Every, oh, gosh. I need a makeover. <laughs> but it would be really great to promote what you're doing through all these social media audiences. So... I just had a ball here today, and I've loved your podcast and The Long Leash and and wish you the very best, my friend. Thank you so much. We're on the same team. Okay, we are. Everyone who is a part of our team, we have a distributed team of people all over the world. We call it Team Dog. I love it. And uh, you're an honorary member. We'd love to have you as, as a regular here on Dog Podcast Network and all the things that we do on Team Dog. Thank you so much, Dr. Marty Becker. We will put links to all sorts of things in today's show notes. I want to thank you for being with us. Thank you, friend. Blessings to everybody. If you are interested in Fear Free, well, then you can go to their website. The link is in today's show notes. On that website, they have all kinds of resources, including programs and courses for veterinary professionals and pet professionals, animal welfare communities, and for people like you and me, dog owners. If you'd like to hear that episode of Dog Edition that I spoke about in the top of the show where Dr. Marty went to the Ukraine, well, there's a link to Dog Edition in the show notes as well. You can find today's show notes and all of our past episodes on our website at longleashshow.com. That's all we have time for on today's show. Please follow The Long Leash in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube and do us a favor by sharing the program with a friend or two. I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm 
Aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.